Okay, so um, so we'll just like like be quiet for like a few seconds, and I'll just start introducing the show. Okay. And you go by Chris Rudder, right? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So. So how long have you had a a channel going? Um, with Realm of the Mist. Well, with Realm and the Mist and all together, like, how many episodes in are you? Um, only four. <laughs> it's kind of, like, it's kind of something that didn't take off. Like, I was always looking for a co-host, but everyone kept bailing or, you know, getting paranoid. <laughs> really? Scared that they were, yeah, scared that they were on the next watch list and stuff. And I'm like, guys, like, literally, like, we talked about blood types. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, if you uh, ever have anybody drop off or whatever, just let me know what the topic is, and I can jump on pretty much any time. I'm always pretty much ready to record, so. Okay, well, we'll pretty much make it uh, you and I. Okay. And then uh, Salem and uh, Dusty wanted to join, like, uh, on occasion, so whenever they can join, too. But we'll try to get this out, and then, because it's only, like, a half an hour anyway, so. Right, Okay. And then um, they're wanting, we're going to have them on Saturday evening, it looks like. Yeah. Okay, cool. Do we have any topics picked out, or are we letting the guests bring a topic, or what? On uh, Saturday? Yeah. Um, I'll see what they want, but I mean, there's so many conspiracies going around right now, like, it's it's such a hot topic. Right. It'll be so easy to find something to talk about. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, just with some of these, you start moving into some quasi science and whatnot. So the better off you are speaking technically accurate and whatnot, the better off you're going to be because, you know, these kind of, um, these kinds of podcasts and everything, they get picked up by a specific group of people usually. And if you're not, you know, technically accurate or whatever, then you get blown up in the DMS and comments about the show not being good. Even if you had a great conversation they'll try to beat you up over your facts or figures being off one way or the other. So having a little bit of heads up is good in most cases, but yeah, for the most part, to... anything work, but so whatever. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So it's the Google box. Yeah. It's uh, the Google bloom box. Google bloom box. Okay. All right. Okay. So you're ready. Intro, go ahead. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Tinfoil Hat Society with your host, myself, Venus, and my new co-host, Chris Rudder. How's it going? <laughs> good, good. <laughs> so today, I'm actually going to get schooled by Chris because Chris is going to talk, us about, talk to us about the Google Bloom Box, which I have honestly never even heard of. That's and the so that, yeah. yeah, this will be fun. Yeah, so um, just kind of jumping right into it, I'll, I'll kind of give you the, um, you know, A through Z approach here. Um, so basically, whenever Google first started in the Silicon Valley, <laughs> as it was uh, originally built, uh, was meant for between 2,500 and 3,500 people. Now, obviously, it's grown substantially since then. Uh, but basically, you know, the um, 
the framework and everything for the campus was built at the very beginning. That's where they housed all of their mainframes, um, uh, all of their storage data, and of course, all of the desktops for every station that's in the house and, and everything else where they're collecting all the data and correlating it. And this, uh, at the very beginning, Google was a search engine option. It wasn't the search engine. And yeah, we had uh, Yahoo and stuff and whatnot, right? You had Ask Jeeves and, and all of these other groups that were out there. And uh, so it was basically just a search engine option. And so what they kind of tripped into was data collection. And data collection at the moment is actually more valuable than oil. Um, they're collecting so much information. Once you sign into your Google account, it has everything on you, what your shopping habits are, even what your dreams and want list are. Uh, are. Google can make a vision, uh, a better vision board for any of us uh, than we probably could ourselves because it correlates and keeps track of every single thing you've ever typed in and looked at. And then uh, obviously you're put into different groups and associations based on keywords and all of this other stuff. There's a whole algorithm that goes into it. But by the second or third year, they started doing the user agreements where they were able to not only correlate, but also keep your data. And everybody is very familiar with the user agreements that you have either on Droid, which are heavily associated with Google, and also iPhone, uh, which is heavily uh, associated with uh, Firefox. Both of them are data collecting agencies at this point. Now, at the beginning of Google opening its doors, uh, opening the campus, as it were, they um, had a very unique invention. And it's something that you will never hear about if you're to do a Google search on it right now. You will only get a picture. The only thing that will give you somewhat of a decent description of what it was supposed to be would be on DuckDuckGo. And I believe Wikipedia has a small snippet on it as well. But basically what it is, um, it is a little one foot by one foot by three foot box. So one foot wide, one foot tall, three foot long. And it stood on its side. You're able to see the whole three foot length of it and a foot tall of height from it. And um, it was a renewable clean energy source that at the beginning clean, uh, uh, basically powered the entire Google campus from the lights to the workstations, to the mainframes, to the data collection, the hard drives, and, and everything else in between. Basically, Google was off the grid. It was able to power itself. And then once they stumbled onto the data collection part of the business that we're all so accustomed to, but you got to think in 2004, 2005, roughly, whenever they start doing all of this, data collection is a very new thing. Nobody really knew what they were supposed to do with all this data they were collecting. Now we all know that's how you build email addresses, and that's how the government watches you and all of this other shit. So um, about the third year of operation, the Google Bloom box disappeared at the same time that they started working hand in hand with the DOD and the CIA and the FBI for all of this uh, um, data collection. Now, a, a renewable energy source, a renewable clean energy source has nothing to do with data collection. They don't really work hand in hand, but here's, here's the skinny on it. 
is um, everybody has had a, had the argument for you know well over a hundred years of who killed the electric car, and there's been several other uh, clean energy arguments that have come out that instead of them benefiting industry. The corporations, you know, like Exxon and Texaco and all of these other gas-related industries or uh, powerhouses, they were able to shelve these uh, clean energy options. They would basically buy out the uh, entrepreneur or the inventor of said gadget, buy it out and shelve it so that way nobody else could get their hands on it. Hmm. And uh, this has happened repeatedly uh, just in the gas and oil industry. Um, uh, several times. Uh, there are several companies that have come and gone. Most recently, the one that was almost put out is Tesla. Uh, but Elon Musk uh, um, didn't have anything to do with the American government. He's very Canadian, even though he lives in, in L.A. Uh, he didn't really want to work with the American government. They weren't able to buy or push him out, and he kept going, even though the business was you know, just a, um, a hair away from slipping into complete bankruptcy. Um, he kept pushing forward to come up with the electric car. Well, the Google company did not do that with the Google Bloom box. It, uh, again, it's a clean, uh, a renewable clean energy source that basically works uh, off a very Star Trek principle of particle acceleration. Oh. And uh, once they got into bed with the DOD, it was taken off the building. They don't use it anymore, at least from the surface. They sure as hell don't have pictures of it, obviously, or else you'd be able to find it easier. Um, but uh, it has become uh, the way of the old electric car. It's no longer in existence, even though it definitely did exist. If you look at the mastheads of the first two or three years of operation for Google, one of the things that they actually listed was the fact that they were trying to get into clean, renewable energy. They were going to figure out an algorithm that made it all work well uh, to be distributed, um, not just through the United States, but through the world. And once they went into business with the DOD, uh, all of that was disappeared, I guess is the right terminology for it. Um, it is no longer on top of the building. There is no literature available on it. So anything you're able to pull offline, if somebody out there were, you know, want to spend, you know, the next 8,000 hours digging into any articles or any descriptions of it from the early 2000s, you'd be able to find some literature on it. But basically, that's what it was, was a clean, renewable energy source that powered Google. And it disappeared uh, once they got in business with the Department of Defense on collecting all of this data. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that raises like a whole bunch of questions that I could just <laughs> think of right away. <laughs> right off the top of my head. And there's there's a lot of segues that can go off of this. This is a conversation that if you're doing a half hour at a time, we could end up having, you know, uh, 200 hours worth of conversation because of all the segues that this does butt, butt heads with. Um, but uh, there's a lot of area to explore with it as well. You know, like a, um, with where we are right now with the uh, 5G argument uh, as far as how it's affecting or corrupting corona data and making the virus move and all of this other stuff. And uh, you got third world countries where they don't have any energy sources. What better way to be a help to humanity than to be able to introduce, even if it's a series of these boxes or build one on an industrial scale, 
to have clean energy or renewable clean energy uh, source. Uh, renewable energy has been around for a long time. That's what we call nuclear energy now. But as far as a clean renewable energy, uh, there's really no such thing other than solar, and that's not even clean itself. No. Uh, I guess with all the, the recycling of the solar panels, <laughs> that well, I mean, you can't really recycle them. So, right. yeah. I was reading a, an article the other day that uh, with the uh, windmill, the turbine farms there in, you know, like San Bernardino and Utah and all of that stuff, if one of them gets frozen up, do you have any idea of how many gallons of diesel fuel it takes to burn off the ice to get one of those things running again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they leak oil. Like yeah. they're not efficient at all. Um, like I've heard so many things about them. Like like people living close to them like suffer migraines constantly, um, in increased anxiety. Babies are more likely to um, suffer from uh, sudden infant death syndrome. So, I mean, is it clean? Like definitely not clean if it's causing like these bad effects. Right. It's cleaner on the surface for the environment, but if you take a deep look at it and all of the plastic and everything that it takes to build it, and then all of the power and diesel fuel that it takes to get it there and then build it on site, they're, they're very far from clean, that's for sure. I mean, are they a cleaner option than coal? Yeah, obviously, but um, they're not as clean as they make everybody want to think, think about it. If you, if you had to scrap... Um, you know, all of the solar panels, if they had to switch all of those out at your local power plant, if you're lucky enough to, or lucky or unlucky enough, depending on how you look at it. But if you're working, if your electric or utility company is using solar as an electricity source, if all of those panels were to go out tomorrow, not only would it take a couple years to replace them all, but if they have a whole football field of solar panels, that's an entire football field of landfill. <laughs> yes. You know, so, so, so like, how, how do you question this? Ask this. Like, so, so how does it, like, why would it make sense then that they would want to hide this, this Google bloom box, you know, because we hear all the push for like clean energy and stuff and whatnot. It, like, is it because it's cheap and nobody profits from it? Yeah, that's basically the theory. Google put it in place. Their engineers, the ones who built it, and I don't know who they are specifically before anybody asks us. Um, I don't have the information going back that far. Actually, um, I heard about the box itself from the um, CEO of Icon Cars. Um, he's a, a car manufacturer, custom car manufacturer, and an exquisite uh, leather artesian. And uh, so it, one of his biggest things, and he, he's talked about it a couple of times on Rogan's show and in a couple of other articles, he's the reason I even know about it uh, because he brought it up and I got to looking into it. And the biggest argument is that it's cheapy, cheap to build. The science isn't copyrighted, first of all. Oh. So who's going to own it? Who's going to take credit for it? Uh, it was built by the team of engineers for Google for Google's use. And uh, it wasn't meant to be used on like a mass production type of scale that, you know, you're powering the United States or cities thereof. You know? um, and then how do you bill it? Like what's the metered hour on something that's renewable? Yeah, exactly. Um, mm. 
So uh, obviously, it's something that the government is very well aware of, and it's probably something that they're currently using. You know, uh, um, most all of their technology, whenever we see it, it blows your mind, but it's something they've been working on for 30 years. So, um, you know, is it something that's being used by the United States government? Maybe it's something that they are, you know, coupling in one piece at a time to power the Pentagon or, you know, whatever. But it's something that they own. It's something that they have, and it's never been seen or heard of since its inception and use at the at the Google campus. Yeah, and without a patent, I mean, it, it's pretty impossible to find any information on it. Like, it's like, yeah. like you could find it, like Google that, or you know, like um, oh my gosh, I'm trying to yeah, think that, of something here, something that, that bizarre. Is- that is the thing is that since it was made by the Google team of engineers to be used by Google for Google, blah, 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 they were never going to let it out of their hands to begin with. It was just a novelty for them. And, mm-hmm. you know, the science fair project that won and they ended up using it um, uh, kind of for publicity and, and to be able to stand on the backs of uh, scientists and say, you know, hey, look what we did. Uh, but they never planned on using it. For anything so, other than that. So is it still being used by anyone? Or is it just in a warehouse somewhere? It, like it's not in a warehouse somewhere because it's no longer uh, talked about on the Google campus. Um, the gentleman's name who owns Icon uh, escapes me at the moment. But he's actually reached out to a few of the uh, um, higher-ups there at Google asking about it. It's a very hush-hush situation. Like, first of all, he they they laughed and scoffed at the idea that he even knew about it. And then second of all, um, uh, that's not for public use and it's not for uh, retail, <laughs> basically was the uh, response he was given. And this is a guy who's uh, built himself out of nothing. And he's now worth, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Nothing has a price tag that scares him, and he wanted one. And uh, they're like, yeah, that technology is no longer available. No longer. So, like, verifying that, yes, it did exist, but now it's gone. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And then that's the reason I brought up, you know, Texaco and and, uh, Exxon and all of these other gas-related companies. There's so much technology that's been released uh, or, I'm sorry, invented and developed for the use in cars and, and other things that are heavily dependent on, on an energy source. And um, they have bought several things and shelved them. There is a carburetor that has been around since the 1950s that's used in, um, uh, was used in cars all the way up until the late 80s, a fuel injection carburetor that allowed uh, people to get uh, in the neighborhood of like, um, hundreds of miles to the gallon and it's something that's been used by the military you really think a humvee goes out on a five-day expedition with a tank of gas and a five gallon for refill and it's got enough gas to really do that yeah no that doesn't sound very probable (laughs) right so um and if you talk to anybody who's been deployed you know obviously they'll tell you they they don't train them and and your average guy on the front lines in Afghanistan isn't going to really look at the science of how the carburetor actually works. But there are several stories from guys who, are, who have come back home or talk about, you know, this 
two-ton tank on four wheels, basically, which is what a Humvee is, there's no way in the world they should have been able to go out on four or 500-mile excursions on one tank of gas and get back, you know. So um, it's something that's been known, and everybody just kind of – it's, you know, it's – one of those things that like it used to be considered like an old wives tale where there's a guy in, in uh, Michigan who accidentally got one of these things off the Ford assembly line installed in his Cadillac and got like a hundred miles to the gallon or whatever, but it's happened more than once. And it's a story that's been around for a long, long time. And that, um, that bottleneck of industry or bottleneck of uh, new technology happens because of, um, the oil companies have such a heavy hand in all of these industries. If they're yeah, not trying to for yeah, it, then it gets squashed. Yeah, because yeah. if we all had this, we wouldn't need to buy that much oil. Like we wouldn't need to exactly. fill up our cars so often. Like we could fill it up like what, every six months? Like mm -hmm. for us that just travel around town to go do our groceries. So right. they, yeah. They wouldn't be able to be the the billion billions of dollar powerhouses that they are funding you know, all these special interest groups and all of this other stuff that basically makes things better for them. It's like a washer and dryer. You think Whirlpool doesn't really know how to make a washer and dryer that'll last you the rest of your life? See, that yeah, reminds no. me of, like, the Brave Little Toaster yeah. goes to Mars. And, like, <laughs> yeah, everything was made to break. Like, yeah. it, it's not made to last, so you have to keep buying it and keep buying it and, you know, getting the new style of stuff. I mean, because companies can't make money. The companies aren't make well, I mean, shit, they would still make money, but I mean, no, they have to be selfish. They have to be greedy. It's yeah. like the typical elite planned, that we have to deal with. It's called planned obsolescence. The reason that term exists is because of, because of manufacturers building something that is made to break down. Yeah. So, I mean, even if we bought a cheap toaster, I mean, I bought a cheap toaster, like, <laughs> but like when I first moved, like I needed a toaster, right? And it's like a $12 toaster. And yeah, I expected it to break, but I didn't expect it to break within two weeks. <laughs> like I expected it would have lasted me a little bit longer than that. Right. So you yeah. Not the $40 one. Yeah. Exactly. Actually, I got a Star Wars toaster now that puts, a, <laughs> the, yeah. puts the Death Star on my toast. So <laughs> Yeah, that series of toasters and uh, kitchen uh, kit kitchen equipment they came out with is pretty cool. They have the uh, the waffle iron with R two D two and C three PO's head on it and stuff. That's awesome. It is, yeah. It definitely makes breakfast more interesting. <laughs> but again, like I don't anticipate this to last very long. Like if I get six months out of it, I'll be happy, which for a $17 toaster, but just because I had the Death Star, I was like, oh, that is so cool. Like <laughs> I spent that money, but now you buy cheaper stuff and like it's going to break sooner. So then what are you going to do? But keep buying cheap stuff, buying cheap stuff, buying cheap stuff. And you end up with like a bigger bill than if you would have bought the more expensive stuff. But then I mean that more expensive stuff can default and break and you're screwed either way. Yeah, you know, instead of replacing something once every 10 years, if you spring for it and pay the extra few dollars or something that you have to replace every year because it's half the price, you still would have been better off to go ahead and buy the expensive one. But yeah. they take advantage of everybody's economic situation. If you're not able to make that purchase, then you have to buy the cheap one. And guess what? Go ahead and get the next $20 ready to go and buy the next one next year. 
Exactly. Yeah. But a good thing, you know, my taste could change and I could go from Star Wars to Princess Dora next to next year or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the only like good part about it is that yeah, we can change with our interests. But I mean, if we had like an industrial toaster that lasted ten years, yeah, I would pay the extra twenty dollars for that. <laughs> Hands right. down. Yeah, definitely. But unfortunately, the industrial ones don't cost an extra 20 bucks. They cost an extra few hundred, you know? Right. Right. Like, no one can afford that. And there's, you know, there's a lot of things in place to trap consumers in where they are. You know, digging yourself out of your economic situation is harder because all of the retails and manufacturers build everything in such a way that keeps you on that cycle. You know, so be able to, to make the next step up and buy that super expensive washer and dryer. Uh, it's a lot harder to do because, you know, the next step up is a couple thousand dollars for one of those units instead of three or four hundred. You got to make a, a major economic change or change your credit at the very least. And that at the end of the day is the bottom line. Credit is is your money nowadays. Yeah. See, I, I always think about it this way, like you can always buy secondhand and you might not get the insurance and stuff, but you're going to have equity instead of payments. See, like it's actually yeah. something you own and you can turn it around for some money instead of con continuously having to pay make payments and whatnot. Yeah, ownership is definitely the way of uh, way to go whenever it comes to something like that. And you could buy something that was top of the line 10 years ago by its secondhand knowing that you still got another 10 or 20 years out of it instead of something buying something brand new for on the cheap and having to replace it five years from now. So, and, and, you know, and then plus you have the equity of having to own that and the ability to flip it. If you want, you know, you can almost own something long enough to, uh, that it becomes collectible. Um, uh, especially in today's culture, you know, anything 20 years old is uh, almost a collectible nowadays. So. And if it's still running after 20 years, guaranteed you've got another few years with it. <laughs> Some financial yeah, advice right. for people my age, like millennials and stuff that are like, well, I can't afford anything. No, you can. <laughs> just Oh, yeah, go you for definitely can. You just got to put in a little bit of effort and, and do some searching. But you can definitely find something like um, until they passed away, my grandparents, uh, and this is in the uh, middle, late 90s, I'm 50, so I'm quite a bit older than you are, but like my grandparents, whenever they passed away, they had a Whirlpool washer and dryer set that they had for 30 years. And my aunt works, right? out in her damn garage, and they probably would turn on if you were to plug them in, maybe replace a couple belts, and boom, you're off and running, you know? Yeah, stuff from like yeah. years ago was made to last. Like now, it's 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 not. No. Yeah, <laughs> the manufacturers really figured something out. Yeah. So that kind of brings us like back to that that Google Bloom box. Like, mm -hmm. can you imagine what we could do with that technology? Like, we would not need to buy anything. Like, we would not need to like to heat our homes. Pretty much, like we could have electric, like a little box in our basement. And I mean, exactly. like, it doesn't sound like it has any emissions or anything that we would have to worry about, right? No, there's not even a heat flume that comes off of it. Um supposedly so uh it doesn't generate anything by friction it doesn't have wear and tear because of moving parts um it's just fusion just uh, 
implications of something like that, whether you were to build a much smaller version of it to use it in a car, which is what the gentleman who owns Icon wanted to do. He is always looking for alternative fuel sources, and he's looked at hundreds of different ideas. And uh, that's the reason he wanted that. And I think that's probably a major part of why Google told him that technology is not available. They don't want it out in the, you know, for mass consumption. They don't want everybody getting their hands on it. Maybe yeah, Google like, doesn't care, but the government sure as hell does. Yeah, because, like, the government is funded by, like, oil companies and stuff and interest companies. And, like, yeah. So we, we spend, like, four or $500 on this. And, you know, like, you don't have to pay it for any hydro, you know. So that's that's less tax money for them. Like, we have such a crazy carbon tax in Canada right now. Yeah. It is ridiculous because we use fossil fuels to heat our homes. So now if we could have this little box, like it would totally kill the government. And the government is like a sin on its own. But right. like, so dealing with the utility company in Canada versus the United States, there's a couple of differences. But the first one is the fact that you do have that fossil fuels tax on everything you buy, right? Um, well, we have our sales tax. We have our GST that we pay, um, not our, yeah, our income tax that we pay. And we've got carbon tax on like literally everything. Carbon tax on our hydro because apparently our light bulb is like such a hazard to the environment, like lighting a light bulb. My hydro bill went up from like about 110 a month and they added another 50% carbon tax. So now my hydro bill is 160 a month, which and is ridiculous. Like uh, two years ago, it would have been like maybe $60. And, and so is this um, dealing with the two different countries? Is this something that subsidizes your all's healthcare program or something? Or I mean, what's the point? The fossil fuels are already in play. And they're already being used in every house. So why tax? It's a penalty for us because we're supposed to take responsibility for our actions <clears throat> of causing carbon emissions, which is like, okay, well, where does our money go? Because like now with the economy shut down, everyone applied for unemployment mm -hmm. and they're having a hard time dish that out because they don't have the funds for it. And it's like, how can you not have the funds for that? You're taxing us like literally 200% taxes on just hydro. And we can't, we don't get money to live on because it's too, too difficult for you guys to give us that money. But I mean, they're giving billions of dollars for other countries for foreign aid. They don't account for this money. They don't tell us where it's going. Just it's foreign aid. Well, that could be anything that could go in the pockets of another politician and back into a, the Trudeau Foundation, and you know, it just could be dirty money, money laundering, as far as I'm concerned. Well, yeah, and you're and you're probably on to something really, really big there. But what's the what's Canada's version of the Pentagon? What what do you guys have that's that's like that? Like the intelligence basis. Is that what you guys call it? No, I don't. I, I, well, uh, you so know, we in Washington D.C. the we have the Pentagon building, which is where most of the Department of Defense and all of those projects and everything, that's where they start and end. And like in America, we have the, it's a true story. It used to be just an old wives tale from conspiracists, but it's been proven since the Freedom of Information Act. Like there is such a thing as a $20,000 hammer. And the what? Pentagon <laughs> bids and pays. Yeah, yeah, the, the 
depending on bids and pays for these things. And uh, most Americans who are wanting to know what's, you know, what's really going on out there. It, uh, it I mean, there are hundreds of bills of sales for $20,000 hammers, $10,000 toilet seats, uh, $500 rolls of toilet paper. So where's that extra money go? And I'm wondering what's Canada's version of the Pentagon where all of your defense spending comes and goes from. Well, I don't think we really invest too much in defense. Like we have <laughs> veterans living on the streets and stuff because, you know, we can't, we can't afford to pay them. It, right. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. The, to where our money goes. And I mean, it goes to places like, like China right now, like China has a really good industry right now, a really good economy right now, but we're giving them money. Um, actually, I found it funny when Germany sent them a bill for the coronavirus impact in Germany to China. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's something that all of us should do. Have you seen where uh, some parts of Europe are starting their second round of the corona? It's spiking again over there? No, I have not. I And it's funny because I followed that news, but no, I, I haven't. I missed that one for some reason. It's news that just came out yesterday, I believe, and Sunday is always like a notorious slow news cycle day, and that's usually okay. where they do this kind of shit because everybody doesn't really, you know, Monday through Saturday, you're going balls to the wall, and then Sunday it's like, okay, I need to take a minute off and refresh it, and then they put out this incendiary news item, but in uh, Europe, they are uh, actually experiencing their second round. Wow. <laughs> And has it mutated? I mean, that's that's another thing. Like, um, and we could go on forever about all this, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah we're kind of getting we're we're really getting off topic. But I yeah, mean, that's what it comes down the to with these conversations. <laughs> I I know, I know, and I don't want to overload anyone with information or something. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we like honestly, like this can go on forever. So I think that we'll have to catch up on this. Um, we're, we're hopefully coming out with a new episode again this week. So possibly two episodes per week of the Tin Foil Hat uh, Society. Um, what are we going to talk about on Saturday? I'm not completely sure, <laughs> but we will be back with more of this. Um, Here's a, here's a topic for us to maybe discuss on Saturday, and I don't know how open you are to it or if uh, our other guests here are going to be coming on, if they want to discuss it or if they already have a topic in mind. But did you know that uh, Texaco in the 1930s and 20s heavily funded the Nazi party? Texaco. Texaco, the gas company, yeah. Oh, I have so much to go off about that. <laughs> uh huh. I do. Um, that's definitely an interesting topic. Um, yeah, actually, they had a lot to do with Shell, so <laughs> I'll uh -huh. just drop that quick bomb. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, we can always leave it up to the viewers if they have a, a something they they would like us to talk about or something. Um, leave a comment yeah. below or get a hold of us. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Venus Chan or Solar Nova if I'm um, Facebook bans me that week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find me on Instagram as Venus Uncensored or email me directly at venusuncensored.gmail.com. And I will be back this Saturday with another episode of the Tinfoil Hot Society. 
And uh, you can find me directly at uh, What's Your F and Binge on Facebook. Um, that's at, at your uh, What's Your F and Binge. And you can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn under uh, What's Your F and Binge. Or you can reach me directly at uh, Christopher S. Rudder on Facebook. Or you can email me directly at What's Your F and Binge at gmail.com. Awesome. Oh, and, and until next time, everyone, do not use tinfoil hats. Um, they, they don't work. They're aluminum foil, and it's kind of counterproductive to blocking out <laughs> microwaves. <laughs> You're ba basically baking them in instead of blocking them. Yeah. <laughs> Just a tip for all our viewers. <laughs> <clears throat> all right. Until right. next time. Bye, guys. All right, so 3626, stop recording. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, cool. All right, I'm just making cut notes here. Uh, 3626. 3626. I love making these shows. I like it. It's so, so out of hand, though. <laughs> yeah, like, definitely. So there's so much you could talk about and like if you we sat here for like a whole 